Hey, this is for all of our property manager friends of the podcast. Are you looking to add more properties this year? If so, you got to check out Venturi. These guys are at the forefront of what they do. You should see them at conferences, pack presentations, their booths are slammed, and Brooke, their founder, is a huge fan and supporter of the pod. Venturi has built the first and only software and services platform designed specifically to help property managers recruit homeowners and add new inventory to their rental programs. John, these guys are awesome. They can help you pull lists of vacation rental homeowners in your area and then even market to them across multiple channels from landing pages to chatbots and so many more booking tools. Venturi is here to help you collect leads. Their state-of-the-art CRM with marketing automation can help you easily track those leads and efficiently communicate with them across your entire team. The system can even automatically follow up with your leads instantly. Knowing that your leads are getting contacted right away is an awesome feature. The best part is if you sign up now, you can get a free homeowner marketing list and a free owner landing page. On top of that is 60 day money back guarantee. Venturi makes it completely risk-free to try it out. They will even send you a $50 Amazon gift card just for taking a demo. To learn more, go to Venturi.com forward slash no BS. That's V-I-N-T-O-R-Y.com forward slash no BS. Or just mention that you heard about them on the No BS short-term rental podcast. Welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast, an unfiltered look into the global vacation and short-term rental industry. I'm Mateo Bradford. And I'm John Stokinger. And this is our podcast. We bring the right people to the table at the right time, giving you an inside view and take on the short-term rental industry like no other podcast can. Morning, Mateo. How are you? Fantastic, John. How are you? I, I couldn't be better. Excited. We're recording a, a few this week, and I feel good about that. Things have been going great with no BS, and uh, it just excited about where things are going and the amazing yeah. guests we're able to get on the show. Absolutely. And today is no exception. We got a great one, uh, a legend in our midst who I'm excited to dig right into. So let's not waste any time, man, and, and get into this. Today, we are honored to have the vacation rental fixture, a pioneer of sorts in the space, the one and only Scott Leggett, formerly of LSI Tools, where he was when I met him in the space. And now, uh, a man of many titles and importance and sharing his wealth of knowledge, but working with the inhabitants, so which we will happily dig into. But Scott, welcome to the No BS Short-Term Rental Podcast. John and I are ecstatic to have you on here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here. That was a little inflated introduction, but thank you anyway. Yes, I love the humility. I love the humility people come in where you know when you I, I, tell me when I start lying. When I start lying, <laughs> you can say it's inflated or when I'm embellishing on the truth. But no, seriously, you know, Scott, we are honored to have you, man, and want to definitely dig into your story as you know your contributions to the short-term rental space have been significant, and I, we want to know all about you. So, I, you know, the interesting thing, Teo, is that I met Scott and maybe you did too, the same time when I met you. It was in, I think, and please correct me if I'm wrong. I think, Scott, you were in Gatlinburg at a Vera Mintel. It was when I, Mateo and I met, and you were on the back wall, and I had just started with Ascent Processing, 
And I remember the booth and I remember it was you and, and someone else on your LSI team at the time. And I, I remember having a conversation with you and you, you welcomed me with open arms to the space. And I was naive and like really wide eyed and just amazed at like the industry and where we're going and where it's, and it's just amazing to see five years later, you know, five and a half, six years later now, like where it's come. But I, I swear you were at that show. <laughs> I think it's a high probability. These shows all tend to merge together after a while. I, I couldn't even begin to count. I think I've been to every VRMA conference since 2001 with the exception of one. Wow. Huh? Just a couple. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. Cause like, you know, we run into, and is it's just, we were just talking about, you know, that conference was like the start of the world. Like, I feel like I was such a, I, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was running around trying to meet everybody that I could and just get introduced to the space and, you know, met a lot. It, it clearly, as you can tell from, you know, our, our conversations and the people we talked to on this podcast, like who we met at those conferences and who we met at that particular yeah. conference, but it only expanded from there. Cause in, in Scott, if you've met Scott, he's a great guy. He's super personable. Like when you meet him, you know, it lasts. And so as we were just talking, like it, that's where it started. And then I would see Scott everywhere. Like <laughs> I would see Scott in Europe. I would see Scott in Vegas. I would see Scott in like all these different places. And it was always, you know, the random introductions because we didn't really get to know each other till like later on, but it was always like familiar. Like we always spoke, we were always, and then we'd see each other like at the airport and the hotel lobbies and like these random right. places. And I remember, I think it was at Prague where we were, I think where we really got to talk and really got to yeah. connect that uh, VRMA in Europe at Prague. And that's where I was just like, dude, I'm really not following you. I promise I'm not following <laughs> you. This is the most <laughs> random thing ever. Like, how are you here right now? Not on Scott. No, not at all. But like, <laughs> but no. There was um, another target. Again, on the business side, always creepy. Yes. So, yeah. you know, always yeah. out there, you know, we were definitely on the hunt. Um, it was aggressive time, a fun time. Scott, speaking of journeys, you know, what we do here at the uh, No BS Short Term Rental Podcast is dig into stories. And so I know yours is unique. You have been in this business and been a factor in this business for quite some time. So, you know, as we do with, with all of our guests, tell us how you got here. You know, how did you get to vacation rentals? How did you get to LSI? And like, how did you get to Inhabit and to the pinnacle of like where you are right now and what you're doing with Inhabit? So I actually started working in the vacation rental business in 1995, running a branch office for a, a company on Hatteras Island and grew that company pretty quickly, moved to their largest competitor, and was successful at growing that company as well and duplicated the same thing with uh, a third company up in Kitty Hawk before I actually even moved to the technology side. And, you know, during that time, I focused on building the companies, growing the companies in terms of inventory, but really began to focus on revenue management and growing revenue, not just pricing, but growing revenue through ancillary revenue streams. And I think there was a core group of us at that time that met regularly here in the Outer Banks. George Volsky was among them. Some yep. people were, remember George and several. George just won an award at Darm last year. 
Yeah, he sure did. He got the Pioneer Award actually for his work with revenue management. George was the the first one to start talking ab- about revenue management. He come from a, a background working for the FAA in air, and so he had a lot of airline industry knowledge. And he looked at how they did their revenue management and said, hey guys, this is coming. He said it probably 20 years before most people have ever even thought of the concept. And I think he and I probably spoke, I can't even begin to count the number of times that conferences on revenue management, but I would say at least 20 times together that we did presentations. And now it's one of the biggest things in our industry, so. Right. And there's more and more companies every day coming into it and, you know, and they're offering different things and in different algorithms and different you know, perspectives on why there's better. I can name seven or eight on my just sure. <laughs> pretty easily. And someday one of, one of them will get it right. But, you know, the, the complexities of doing that for the vacation rental industry are so much more complicated than any other area where you see that, whether it's hotels, motels, airlines, whatever it may be, our products are so diverse, our locations are so diverse, you know, the subtleties of uh, pricing something that's 50 yards closer to the beach from another home and it could be worth all twice as much you know picking up those things i'm not convinced that any of the current automated revenue management get it completely but they're getting closer and refining as john said refining their logarithms and getting closer to a model that really works for the vacation rental industry i think they you know the, the interesting thing with, with all this, Scott is, you know, looking at, you know, revenue management is, yes, it's more complex, you know, the VR space compared to anything else, but there's also, you, you know, we're looking at, there's more people to please. It's not just like like the complexities, but you have to please ownership. You have to please, you know, property managers. You have to please homeowners. You have to, you know, there's a lot of different pieces to please. Whereas like hotels and, and flights, are, there's one person to please. So it's, there's some different ownership in the back end of it as well. That makes it even more complex. Yeah, you know, John, I, that that point's so great because there's literally been a tectonic shift in the relationship between property managers and owners from when I began. When I started, you had to have the owner's permission for anything. You never changed the prices. And, and if you did, you had to call the owner, you had to track them down at work, whatever it took to to do that. And now the dynamic and the expectation has shifted to put the authority in to price in the property managers. And that's a big shift. And that's probably the key that's making this uh, a success right now is get set establishing that relationship with the owners that says we're the experts we're the ones that know the field know the demand and are, are in the best position to set the rates and maximize your income and it's really taken a, a long time to to shift that dynamic because owners want to be involved Right. And that's why they choose, you know, XYZ property manager over ABC. You know, that's why they're choosing those property managers. There's a courting that goes, and it's a sales process. And can you deliver? If not, they'll go down the street. There's more than one property manager. And I'm assuming like when, you know, this was in its early stages, it was super manual in my head. I, you know, I see someone with a spreadsheet doing lots of math, you know, trying to fit algorithms into something, doing algorithms in their head, like doing math in their head, you know, really figuring this out. And I kind of want to get into, 
when you transitioned and how you transitioned into, you know, building LSI and what was that pivot point where you were just like, the only way this is going to work is by building something that doesn't exist today or building out something that makes this easier uh, to scale. What was that moment? Was it an epiphany? Was it a long journey? Like, tell, tell me it, how that kind of came It about. was definitely a gradual uh, journey. Uh, I was a client of LSI for many years, mm-hmm. and, and I guess just curiosity made me start asking questions. They actually were a web hosting company when I started using them many years ago, probably in the early 2000s, and very innovative in their approaches and that. But while they were doing our website, I started thinking, geez, you know, you guys are connected to our PMS system. There's so much information in there. Couldn't we use some of that information to do other things that make our operations operate more smoothly, like uh, housekeeping scheduling? Because, you know, the PMS knows when someone's checking in, when someone's checking out, you set up rules. So I worked with LSI as a client in developing those specs and we developed a very robust housekeeping system. And then as time went on, I kept engaging with them and suggesting other things that we could do with that data. So much so that they shifted away from being a web hosting company and and their tools became revenue for the company. And eventually they just asked me to come to work for them. And so I did as their CEO about I think five, uh, six years ago and stayed there for about, about five years until we sold the company to Inhabit IQ and Inhabit moved me to the position that I'm enjoying the most since I've been in this industry and that's their Director of Government Affairs and Advocacy. Let's talk about that. Let's dig in here, you know, and let's start globally or like nationally, and then we can go into the work that you and and Mateo and everyone in the the big focus right now in in Atlanta. But we see a lot of the progress and we see what we're doing as far as being able to raise money on say a VRMA level. And every year it's looking, we set a goal and and then we crush that goal. And we understand the importance of raising money and what that money is for. But maybe you can go ahead and break down for our audience, like why such high numbers? numbers and what we're looking for and, and what that money actually goes to doing. I know that Tiffany Edwards breaks it down really great with this is what is money, this is how much goes, but maybe you can dive into that a little bit for us and our audience. Sure. So in many ways, it is a bit of money game, partly because we have to look at where regulations are being driven from. And there are really a couple of main constituencies that do that. One are just neighbors of homes that are in rental programs that have issues And some of them are often legitimate issues. There are bad players in our industry. There are in other industries that don't control noise, don't control party homes, don't respect other people's property and those sort of issues. And so those are legitimate issues that get the public upset with some vacation rentals. But the bigger threat and really goes to your question, John, the money aspect of it is from our competition. Mm 
And our competition, I, I always tell vacation rental managers, your competition isn't the other vacation rental company down the street. It isn't even the next community over another beach or another ski resort area that they could choose. Our competition is everything that else that they can do with those that discretionary spending that they have. They, you know, they could go on cruises, they could go to an inclusive resort. There are just so many other options and you know our challenge is to make ours the most appealing and what we have seen especially through covid is that consumer preference has shifted significantly toward vacation rentals prior to that maybe 30 percent of the population said they'd either stayed in a vacation rental or would consider staying in one now uh consumer preference on any number of polls shows anywhere from 70 to 80 percent of people would uh, prefer a vacation rental over any other accommodation. Mm. So what that really means is that the established industries there, the hotels and the motels, suddenly have this new competition that they never anticipated, never were prepared for. And at the same time, you've got COVID and people are phobic about staying in a hotel, you know, sharing elevators with other people, touching things that dozens of others have, and they just felt more comfortable. So we were able to get a whole new subset of visitors. And of course, the challenge for us, and I'll go into what the implication on that regulatory is in in a second, but the challenge for us is going to be to take this big boon, this gift we've been given over the last two years with, where we've seen a general dramatic increase in, in new visitation for vacation rentals and see how we can sustain that, how we can make those people lifelong enthusiasts of vacation rentals and, you know, switch their planning preferences to vacation rentals over hotels and motels. Great points. You talked briefly about, and I know we're getting to where we're getting, but you talked about our competition is outside. And so our competition is hotels and it's motels and it's other accommodations, lodging accommodations, but are they going negatively towards us in with regards to government and who's in whose pocket and that kind of thing? And, you know, is this kind of things that are spurring some of these discussions in these different areas? It's at least what's coming out and maybe not in urban, but in vacation rental markets, not urban markets. It's, hey, you know, the the cost of housing is going up because there's no inventory. And those are the big fights. And then we're coming in as VR, you know, VRMA members and advocacy and, and talking as you know, people that have some idea what's actually going on. say, so actually, no, that's not really what's going on. We can prove it by X, Y, Z here. But is that true, you know, in these urban markets and its other markets, is that what we're seeing? Or is it like some false stuff that's getting thrown out there as truth? Yeah, it's a lot of all of that. So if you look at the hotel motel industry, it's a very established and mature sector of commerce here in the U.S. and worldwide. And as such, they've been organized for a very long time and have war chests of money to uh, fight the regulatory value of uh, battles. And, and in our case, to try to regulate or even eliminate in some areas vacation rentals as competition. So what we see is a little marriage between these 
legitimately upset neighbors of vacation rentals, sometimes legitimate, but in, in the hotel and motel group are co-opting their arguments and using them and putting them front and center because they get attention. When a gruntled citizen goes to their town council member and says, you know, I'm tired of these parties next door. We can't get any sleep. My, you know, my children are, I'm afraid to have my children play in their yard, yada, yada. They're in, in some ways almost cynically using those circumstances to further their arguments. And the same things are true with some of the, the other economic things you alluded to with the affordable housing as well. So, but they've got this war chest of money in the millions and millions of dollars in almost every single state where vacation rentals were VRMA is probably the group that is the most prominent in defending the space for vacation rentals, but their their war chest is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars and in the right. low hundreds of thousands. So, you know, in terms of bang for your buck, th there's just so much more ammunition that the hotel motel people have. And what I have found is when regulations are introduced, they often are initiated by those community members, but they're funded by the hotel and motel group. There's right. where the money is coming from. And, and they have a, a clear head start, right? Let's be clear. They're, they have professional lobbies. They've been in this game for a while, having organized bodies who are pushing the professional interests of that segment of hospitality, of hotels. And so, you know, what we, even what we've seen is they'll take, you know, they'll take pieces of a narrative, like you said before. Yes, it's market dependent, but overall, the STR community is not responsible for the housing inaffordability in cities. It's, we're not the main cause within that space, but that's the narrative that gets pushed, right? You know, the party houses and all these other things, they take pieces of these narratives. In, in my short experience within this industry and within this space, it's been the lack of our voice and the lack of that experience and the lack of that organization in, in war chest that can't combat the truth. Now we're getting better, right? Like now, like with what we're doing in Atlanta, now we're using data, right? Now we're getting real information to speak our truth, to back up, you know, the economic impact, the real affordable housing studies that can push back against these narratives and show that, hey, we acknowledge true in our truth that yes, we may have been a part of the problem and may contribute to the problem at some, you know, in some way, but in no way are we the problem. Right. And I think it's very important to distinguish that, especially I don't care what market you're in. Right. And to be able to address it. But one of the things I really love about the STR space is we care. Right. You look at how we address these problems. We're just not we're not in here saying, hey, we're not the cause of housing and affordability in these cities. You know, somebody else is. When have the hotels ever come to the forefront and say, yeah, we're part of this problem and we want to help solve our part. So we're not that part anymore. Right. You look at what we do in this space and on the advocacy side and others, that's what I see happening. We want to be good neighbors. We want to push for everyone can participate. We want to build a, a you know, communities in which we are a, a vibrant part of those communities that are adding, not just detracting. And so you see what's happening with responsibly and community organizations like why is that, Scott? Why has that from your perspective? How has our voice not been a part of this? 
that's a great summary of the state of the vacation rental industry right now. You know, the answer to the last question is that we've just been slow to respond, you know, and we're not well organized. And the fact of the matter is, besides the war chests that hotel motels have, the bigger part of their arsenal is that they have the networking and the established connections that they've built over years and years of cultivating and help in not in a negative way. I'm not even suggesting that they typically are good citizens of their communities, you know, and they have the relationships with their town council. We haven't invested in that systemically anyway throughout our industry. And that's where, aside from the battle for funds and and raising, it's the organizational component that the hotels and motels have done so well. I want to comment on one other thing that you said, though, before I pass along. You talked about being good members members of our community. And that's one thing that as a a government affairs professional, I try to tell everybody, we have to be not only professional, we have to be good citizens. We have to participate. We have to pay our taxes. We have to obey the laws. We have to go beyond that. We have to resolve problems before they get the attention of public authorities. So, you know, I'm not uh, personally for uh, complete laissez-faire economy for vacation rentals. I believe that we should pay our taxes like everybody else. We should, you know, if you have licensing there, you should comply with licensing requirements. You should make good relations, not just with your homeowners, but with your homeowners' neighbors' priority. And so at the end of the day, and I think uh, both of you probably know this, All these battles are going to be local battles. There really isn't much of a national agenda because there's no authority to regulate vacation rentals nationally. There's policy things that we do on a national level. But in terms of combating onerous regulations and crafting regulations that work for both the community and our industry, those are always going to be local initiatives. And that is really where we're behind the curve. To to add to that real quick, if these communities and these property managers and these homeowners that are, you know, that have multiple homes that that are listening to property managers, for me looking at, I get involved, you know, get to know your legislation, get to know your local, you know, government authorities, get, you know, befriend them, like understand, you know, you go to these town halls, be a part of it, you know, ahead of problems, immerse yourself in your community. So when an issue does come up, you're an authority on that. To add to being a good citizen and doing all the right things, already interject yourself as a person and as a business and as a community member and be be the example from the beginning. I think that would add some great help. John, you hit the nail right on the head. Whenever someone calls me and they're concerned about regulations coming to their community, I find that we're almost always fighting this battle from behind. We're reactive. We're not proactive. We haven't cultivated those relationships. If we had often some of the issues that 
end up being the impetus of a, a new regulations probably could have been handled with a phone call. That disgruntled neighbor, you, you know, just reaching out to or being on that town councilman's a speed dial so that if there's a problem or he needs to fact check something, there's someone there in the community that is knowledgeable that they can go to. And so the thing that I, I feel is the most important thing that we can do as an industry is build up local alliances before uh, legislation is proposed. Have those relationships established, communications established, be professional, be good citizens. But if you have to fight a regulation at the same time you're trying to build an alliance and organize it and get officers and build a board, get a website, hire a lobbyist or almost too late it's almost too late it's almost always too late and the truth is that most local authorities are receptive to their citizenship you know they just don't even know who you who we are often and so we have to get ahead of the game i think that's a, it's a, an important point you know because when you look at it from a national perspective like you can provide a framework nationally of like basic things that you can do within this space but it really is local and and with the local groups like not all locales are the same nashville is not atlanta while in atlanta we learned a lot from what happened in nashville savannah and all these other places it's still not atlanta and so it's being able to cultivate the local knowledge base the local communities and being able to educate i, I that's the emphasis there <laughs> In Atlanta, in the mess that we have down there, we did, it, it's been late to the table. We've had this discussion quite a bit, Scott, like it, the fight's been going on for quite some time. What um, is the mess that we have there? Just so our audience knows, what is in like so, in, a, in a brief elevators pitch the, mess? The, the, ten, the 10 second version of it is Atlanta is going from an unregulated market to an ordinance that is probably one of the worst ordinances I've ever seen on paper. Just. Yeah, it's horrible. It's not well thought out. It's not crafted well, and it doesn't achieve what the intention is simply because it's so complex and in many instances so random that, you know, there's almost no way the city of Atlanta can regulate what they're considering passing or, or have passed. And, you know, I, I was actually in the forefront of like when they were going through and writing this, and I'm not going to name names of companies or people or who's who had what, you know, hands in what we have today. But what was passed a year ago and is coming into fruition and will be starting to be enforced within the next two months is a policy that doesn't include commercial operators, has a, you know, a primary residence plus one attached to it, which means that you can only rent out the residence you live in and, and license the, resi the residence you live in plus another property that you have. And on top of that, like, this experience was so eye-opening to me that what I learned and what I see moving forward is I'm on the education train now. Like we, you have to have a body that is the respected authority locally, nationally, and otherwise that can come in and can educate these local communities on not what they think we are, not you know just focusing on single issues like party houses and other things, 
but can really come to the table and, and build out something that's good for the community, that's built with neighbors in mind, with professionals in mind, with, you know, with logical steps for people to operate businesses and otherwise that takes all of these things into consideration, housing, you know, affordability, like all of these things and bring a framework that truly creates something unique. And that my hope is that's what we're working for in Atlanta. And that will be the result of all this work we're putting in. But we just don't know. You look at other cities, you look at Nashville and, you know, this is a process. This stuff takes time. It's never just done right the first time. So yeah, the fight is real. The fight is very real. And so to everyone listening in this space, you know, Atlanta needs help uh, from the STR community. And, you know, we'll, we can leave some links and, and talk about that later on in the show. But, you know, this is something that what is happening in Atlanta is going to be reverberating throughout the rest of the country. Let's talk yeah. about that real quick. You know, what happens when you're saying that this is going to go into effect, when something that was passed a year ago is going to go into effect in one to two months. So what happened between a year ago when this was passed and now for like the team that you put together, the advocacy group that you put together to go ahead and fight this, was it proactively meeting every month, every bi-monthly, you know, like how did that work? And then, and what exactly have you made any progress? Where yeah. are the bottlenecks? So, There's a so, ton of different yeah, moving so pieces here. So this... It started back in Darn. Scott. Yeah, back last August. Yeah. Scott pulled us to the side because prior to that, like after the ordinance was done, there was a, a company in our industry that was leading the, the charge and pretty much wrote the ordinance with another council member in the city. And, and as bad as it sounds, the ordinance that we have is better than the one that was originally proposed but horrible still, because it did not include the entire community. It was great for hope and people who were renting rooms and who were doing things like that, but it did not address the broader community of professionals in this space. And to this day, it still does not. And we've still not resolved that. Yeah. And so after Darm, Scott pulled me and some others aside, and we founded the Atlanta Metro Short-Term Rental Alliance, which you know, is an organization that represents the entire metropolitan area of Atlanta, because the ordinance right now is just for the city of Atlanta, but the metropolitan area of Atlanta is going to feel the effects of this. And so we, we built an organization that is all inclusive of that. And so since September, we, myself, Kelly from iTrip, Laura from iTrip, Rich Monroe, and a bunch, uh, Arthur, Mickey, the, you know, a bunch of the community got together and we've been really pushing and you know, we meet bi-weekly. We're meeting more and, and are, you know, putting together a legal fund to, because we're going to have to really move here because come... Uh, April, the end of April, when this thing goes into effect, if you don't have your license and if you don't, you're not able to have a license, you're not going to be able to list. You know, the OTAs are are not going to not be compliant to the city of Atlanta because <laughs> I'm sure that you know how they roll within that space. So that's going to be a huge issue for people. Yeah, there are several things that we've talked about here. One was education. John was talking uh, about there. And, and that really is a big component because Mateo is choosing his words very carefully. So not to badmouth anybody. It was crafted not by professional managers. It was crafted by another segment of our, our industry there that favors independent homeowners over professionally managed properties which you know if you were a regulator and you knew the difference you would say well, that's counterintuitive you know we want professionally managed 
properties right. with somebody giving the oversight and the upkeep and all the other elements that that go to it that pay their taxes etc cetera, etc cetera. but that's often a missing element in that dialogue with public officials because we're not getting in front of them and again because alliances weren't established when the regulations were proposed but i will say to mateo's uh, point there about amstra the atlanta group it is truly in my book the poster child of the right way to to do it not right in the sense that we got started well after would have been ideal, but in terms of coming together, they pulled together a group of people who were all dedicated, passionate, well-established, professional, and within a matter of weeks had a website up that gave them a sense of substance and presence and authority there in that market. And really, you know, I think if we, if the industry takes how they quickly mobilized and organized as a template that for other communities across the, the country, we will be well served by what they've done. They probably don't feel that way themselves because they're still in the midst of the fray. But yeah. the truth is that what they've pulled off already is nothing short of amazing. So I, and, I have two and to be fair, let me just add to yeah. that, John. And to be fair, the only reason we were able to do that was the support of our community. And Habit stepped up, went responsibly stepped up, other people stepped up. So we did not have to recreate the, we did not have to reinvent the wheel. We had tools. We had Matt Curtis on last week. Matt Curtis came in and actually talked to us about some things. So, you know, being able to pull in resources and it quickly allowed us to get our feet under us quickly and get a game plan together uh, relatively quickly. So, I love hearing that. I, I love our community and who we MVR are as, as a vacation rental, like just people is amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and when we come together, I, I have two questions for you. One, we'll start there is what is Atlanta Metro? What are they going to do? How can they enforce this? It seems like something that is unenforceable. So what are the repercussions if, you know, a professional manager doesn't comply or a listing site doesn't comply? So that's my first question. We'll start there. It's going to be fines and um, they will not be able to list on the platforms that they list right now. They will be fined and they will be prohibited for a set amount of time and, and restricted from getting a license if they are found to be out of compliance. And, and so, you know, and the other part about this is <laughs> this is an open-ended, we don't know also on the other end of it, they're still trying to figure it out at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so they will have their hands full. The, the immediate objective is to get them to delay, postpone impl implementation of what they've passed. And then during that duration, hopefully reconsider some of the th things that they have previously passed because they really weren't well informed. You know, I think what happened there is there was a couple community members that pushed uh, regulation, but at the same time, at is big enough to say, wow, there's this new segment of uh, business in our community and we don't even have any regulations. So right. often what happens in these circumstances is they're looking for a short answer because they don't have the experience. And so when someone comes to them, as Mateo suggested, this uh, segment of our, our, of our industry, they have pre-canned legislation that kind of favors them. And it's over the 
at the professionally managed uh, company's expense. Right. They will play well with us when it's convenient to do that, but mm -hmm. at other times, if they see the writing on the wall and say, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna look out for our side of this equation, they've got this legislation that's been used in other areas, and it just makes it easy for those city governments to to do it because they're not reinventing the wheel. I so great answer and it sucks <laughs> and it is what it is. How I know we're getting close to the end here. How can our audience help? How can someone that's listening is oh shit, I want to help out. Like this is important. How can they help right now? Good. So let me put the answer as, as succinctly as I po possibly can. Form your local alliances now before regulations come because they are coming. They are coming coming in the most obscure places that you would never think would regulate vacation rental industries. We're talking ski towns who have thrived on vacation rentals in, in Colorado. We're talking places where, you know, in Florida, where the community, if, if they didn't have vacation rentals, would suffer so, would suffer terribly econ economically. But you've got to get ahead of the game. You've got to get those relationships and the networking established, have your a playbook together when they come. And that's really one of the things we haven't mentioned here is Verma, VR, Verma has played a large role in helping these local alliances as well. And in the case of Atlanta Metro funded a couple of grants for economic impact studies, affordable housing studies, cost of compliance studies. But the trouble is that those things are very expensive and take time to do. And oftentimes, you know, we're not nimble enough to fight it because of votes coming up and, and coming up quicker than we can gather our, make our arguments. Yeah. And I, the only thing I would add to that is, is find your friends, make sure you know what's going on in your community, engage with your local government. Don't wait for something to be, don't, don't be retroactive, be proactive, engage with your community now, engage with your neighbors, engage with your resources within the, the industry and other places to ensure that you're not, you know, blindsided by something that could disrupt your business or in your community. So yeah. Scott. Thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate you on our show and excited to talk to you. And, and hopefully, you know, this obviously this will make a difference and let's keep on love to get you back on in a few months and get an update of where, what things are going and six months from now or something and see where things are going. Yeah, we'll definitely have you back. Great. Thank you guys. I've really enjoyed this. Well, thanks, Scott. Appreciate you.